Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skur, and I will also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the incredible Christopher Sol Eubanks. In the interview, we discuss the links of oppression and question whether we have racial equity within the vegan movement. Chris brings his insights and shares some of his amazing advice for being a powerful voice to end oppression. We hope you learn as much as we did from this episode and be sure to check out our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can also find the series in video format. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. You describe yourself as a creative and an activist who creates art and media to promote a vegan diet and lifestyle. How long have you been on this journey and what was the catalyst for you becoming vegan? Oh, thank you for allowing me to be here. That's a really good question. My um, journey started, honestly, when I was a teenager. I became aware of um, how bad, I guess, animal products were to consume through this book called How to Eat to Live. Uh, One of my favorite books is the autobiography of Malcolm X. And in this book, he talks about his uh, advisor, Elijah Muhammad, and the book that he wrote um, called How to Eat to Live. So I was interested in learning more. And I read the book and it talks about how bad animal products were for your body. So at the time I was 13, I didn't know anybody that was vegan or vegetarian. I didn't even really know what veganism was. Um, So I, I wasn't even thinking about the ethical stance at that point. So I decided to stop eating animal products slowly. So I decided to go in small increments. So the first year when I was 13, I gave up uh, eating pigs. Then two years later, I said, okay, I'll stop eating cows now. And then two years later, when I was 17, I became uh, fully vegetarian. But like I said, it wasn't for an ethical stance. It was just dietary. So that lasted for about 10 years. I think after a decade, I just kind of started to feel weird and isolated. I didn't know any other real vegetarians or vegans. And I just decided to start back eating animal products. But I would say about five years later, three, about four or five years later, I left my job and I was working as a bank teller for seven years. I loathed it, didn't like it at all. And I said, okay, I'm going to quit and just like really focus on who I want to be and find out what's important to me as a person. Person, so I started to do things like um, learn about meditation and different forms of um, religious practices, whether it's like Hinduism or Buddhism, and came across veganism. And I decided, okay, I have to transition into being vegan. And then a few months later, I saw the uh, documentary Cowspiracy. And after watching Cowspiracy, I went vegan right then and there on the spot all my animal products out. Well, I should say I became plant-based at that moment. Uh, I threw all the animal products out and didn't eat animal products uh, again. And I would say about six months later, I really started to become really aware of the ethical aspects of veganism. And once I learned more about that, I decided to begin doing activism. And ever since then, I've been doing activism in my community whether it's organizing, doing outreach, and those types of things. But yeah, that's my journey into being, I guess, vegetarian at first, and then quitting that, then being, I guess, pescatarian, and then 
plant-based and now vegan. Fantastic. Oh, we always it's love always to hear to those hear stories. It's journeys, isn't it? Yeah, we're also... It's always interesting, right? To hear somebody's story. <laughs> Definitely. Um, while some of our followers here may not have heard of you before this interview, many of them may have seen your, your content on social media. Your tweets carry such power and depth within just a few words, and they've been reshared thousands of times. I know we share them quite a lot on Vegan FTA. <laughs> um, it's over multiple platforms. Um, we see these quotes everywhere. And do you have any tips for being heard on social media? Oh, yeah. So in terms of, I guess being effective at social media, one of the things that I do is I just really use my platform for what I believe in. You know, it's not about me. It's not about the things that I'm doing in terms of like my personal life. Like everything that I post is about advocacy. You know, I don't really share. I don't, I, I don't care to share things about my personal life and, you know, me hanging out with friends unless I'm doing an event or something. But all of my content is purpose driven. So I think if you're trying to be noticed, you should definitely have intent behind whatever you're doing. The second thing I would say is um, find a, a, a platform or a outlet that you're naturally good at or one that is easiest for you. And for some reason, that just happened to be Twitter for me. Like I've been using Twitter for over a decade. And once I started using it purposely, I started you know, thinking about the things that I wanted to say because I realized that, okay, now the things that I say, I really want them to represent my ethical stance. So how do I want to say these things? Do I just want to share my feelings? And for some people, that's totally fine. You can just randomly share what you want. But me, I, I'm i just a thinker. So I, I think a lot about how I say things and what I want to say. So what I end up doing is uh, I end up writing a lot of drafts in my tweets. So I have like uh, two phones right now with drafts of tweets. So there's just things that I wrote down and I'm like, okay, this kind of says what I want to say and this almost conveys it, but not quite. So I literally write the draft and I just keep writing drafts. And, you know, every week or so I go back into the drafts and I keep fine tuning them. And after time, I just, I, I began to have enough to where I could just start spreading them out. So essentially just, you know, take your time, find a platform that works for you and, and treat it like a craft. I think that's one of the ways if you want to, uh, I guess, use your platform and get the message out as wide as you can. At least that's what has worked for me so far. Thank you. That's for some brilliant advice. Yeah, there. definitely. It's, it's definitely working. I mean, I think you, I have to say you are the person that keeps me on Twitter because I, I'm really rubbish at the platform. I can try and come up with something that I think is really profound. and like, oh, this is going to go viral. And then like, nobody sees it, you know? So I've just about given up on it because yeah, I just don't know what I'm doing. But every time I see something, whether it's on Twitter or also Instagram as well, it's always like, oh man, that's really on point. And I'm like, so are you Banks. Every time you're always <laughs> so on point. So we'll have links to, to all your social media, but yeah, it's definitely brilliant advice. You know, maybe Thanks I guess I'm that. just, I'm not putting enough time or um, thought into to what I'm doing. But um, since going vegan, you know, you've shown yourself to be a, a natural leader by establishing and, and coordinating a whole range of events through a multitude of organizations. And um, you've also been recently added to the board, um, the advisory board at Encompass. Can you tell us a bit about the organization and its focus on leadership? Absolutely. So Encompass, for those of you all that don't know, this is a uh, an organization that fights for the equity, racial equity within the animal rights movement. 
They've been around for, I think, almost two years now. I could be wrong, but around two years or so. Um, And they have a lot of initiatives. They help consult with uh, organizations on making sure that they have diversity within their organizations. And they help mentor and do a variety of things. One of the things that I'm excited about that they are doing, or I should say we're doing now, is um, we have a executive uh, leadership program where it's, it's going to teach uh, black and indigenous and people of color uh, about how to you know, run organizations, how to get uh, fundraise, uh, how to fundraise money, how to uh, negotiate things. It's just teaching you know, people from these communities skill sets specifically in animal rights that, you know, haven't been largely introduced uh, to them. And I'm a part of the program too. Like I'm learning literally every week along with, you know, uh, about 20 other people that are doing work in animal advocacy. So that's one of the things that I'm really excited about. They're literally building leaders and making sure that they have equity within the animal rights community with the knowledge that um, Michelle and Arianesh, they are the co-founders of Encompass. They've learned a lot. They uh, have been running their organization for a couple of years and have great experience with running organizations. So they're just like disseminating that information unto uh, us as students. A fantastic uh, initiative. And um, Mm -hmm. are these courses, are they free or paid? Uh, So they're free. So the way it works right now, this is the first one. And well, this this particular course is free. Um, so you just submit your information and, you know, if you're a, either a a thought leader or influencer or trying to run an organization or just want to learn more, uh, you submit your application and they select the participants, um, from there. The other services that encompasses, um, encompass offers, uh, vary. So they do another uh, racial equity training to uh, organizations. And this is, you know, the organizations uh, pay for this training. So it's like a two day course. And I participated in the uh, previous one for two days. It was about 50 of us. And we were just talking about a variety of things around um, racial equity within animal rights and outside of animal rights and definitions and you know, how to bring up these issues, how to create infrastructures in your organization that contribute to more diversity, equity, and inclusion. So they offer a variety of things, but uh, the course that we're going through, the executive program is free. Well, that's fantastic. It's great to have so many resources out there that are accessible and um, also having that balance between the free content and the, the content that means that you guys can keep going because one of the major things in activism is actually funding is a huge issue. But here at Vegan FTA, we share the, the belief that fostering racial equity across our movement is key to our growth and development. Um, as a black activist, what has been your experience of this equi- uh, equity so far? Does the movement feel inclusive to you? So it's starting to feel a lot more inclusive. I've never felt, you know, excluded as a black person per se. Um, but I can say there have been tons of times where I, I just didn't feel included. So I don't feel like I was purposely being uh, excluded, but I don't feel like there was a lot of initiative to, you know, bring in people of color or just more diverse crowds. But 
I think more now than ever, the issue was being raised and so many people and organizations are starting to have these conversations because when I first started doing animal advocacy, the conversations weren't really there as much as they are now. So it's, it's slowly happening. You know, I think unfortunately with the killing of George Floyd, our society kind of re-examined the way that we operate in regards to how we view uh, race in our society. Even though things like uh, killings, like uh, what happened to George Floyd had been happening, you know, for eons, it was something about seeing him in that manner that really struck a chord with society. And I think that rippled throughout so many facets of our society and activism and animal advocacy is one. So yeah, I think it's getting better. We still have a long way to go, like a really long way, but I do think the conversations are being had more often and uh, people are being open about them. Oh, it's awesome to hear and that you know the work that you guys are doing in Encompass as well will definitely help with that I'm sure but I have to say until recently um, really recently we were actually under the impression that you know we've mentioned um, equity um, a, a bit so far and you know we've been under the impression until recently that racial equality and equity were one and the same however there's actually quite a big difference between the two so um, you know since it's going to come up a fair bit in this interview would you mind explaining what that difference is? Oh, absolutely. So I think one way of looking at it is, you know, even myself, like I work at a animal rights organization and I have friends of color that work at different uh, animal rights organizations. And, you know, inside the organization, we're treated fine and fairly, at least a lot of the ones that I know personally. I can't speak for people's uh, experiences that aren't similar to mine or that I don't know. But um yeah, we enjoy our work. We enjoy the organizations that we work with. And, you know, we're treated equal in these spaces uh, for the most part. Um, but we don't necessarily have equity. We don't have ownership. We don't make the decisions that uh, guide the organization. You know, we are grateful to work there. We love what we are doing, but we don't have people in positions of power. And, you know, it's um, honestly just a microcosm of our society uh, of our larger society, you know, even when you look at what's happening and when you look at the government in the United States and how it's mostly made up of, you know, uh, uh, white people and uh, that it doesn't have the the diversity that it should. I think that kind of trickles down in our society and the same things happening uh, has happened in the animal rights movement. So equity is just about making sure that you not only have people in the movement, but do these people have a say? Do they have positions of power? Are they on board seats? Do they run organizations or are they just there um, at protest or just volunteers or interns? You know, where what's the power dynamic between um, these people in these uh, situations? Yeah, we've seen so many more studies coming out um, now about, you know, fostering that diversity and that is really, yeah, getting everything to excel and it's what we need to be doing as a movement, you know, and um, the definition that we saw was about um, basically what well, equality only sort of happens when everyone starts at the same level as opposed to equity means that, you know, your levels are already out of balance before you begin and then trying to meet that. Like, would that be about right? Mm, yeah, I would say so. I think there's a great graphic that shows um, what equity and equality is. It's like two people um, picking apples from a tree and 
they both have a basket full of apples and they both have access to the same amount of apples. Um, but one person has like a taller ladder and the person with a taller ladder is on the side of the tree with a lot more apples. And the other person on one side of the tree, uh, their ladder is shorter and their side of the tree has uh, fewer apples. So yeah, we're able to pick and get the same amount of apples, but one side is heavily uh, at a disadvantage and the other side is just, uh, it's so much more convenient. So yeah, it's about, you know, the starting points and how this infrastructure is set from the beginning. It's a brilliant analogy for that. Yeah, thanks for your explanation. That makes it a lot clearer. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you've said recently that some white advocates feel that addressing human rights issues in the animal rights movement, uh, we are being counterproductive to our cause and doing it, doing a disservice to the animals. The normalization of ignoring other forms of oppression has been used to build the framework of much of our culture in the animal rights community today. At Vegan FTA, we stand firmly with you on that issue. Um, can you explain more about this for our viewers? Yeah, I think we tend to look at the advocacy in the animal rights community and the people that are advocating. We, we love the work that we're doing, but I think we often don't see all the people that don't come into the movement or that are uncomfortable coming into the movement. So it's just a, a way of saying, you know, we, we, we have to understand that we as humans, this isn't a movement about us. So we are advocating for animals. And while we're advocating for animals, we need to know that, you know, this movement doesn't belong to us. And we are just, you know, advocating for others. So we have to understand how the things that impact us in our society and the human rights issues and social justice issues between us, how it impacts the this movement that is about others. Because we don't have cows in a position to fight for themselves. You know, all other social justice movements are pretty much led by the uh, by the people that are disadvantaged, except the animal rights movement. So the fact that we aren't the ones that are, you know, being exploited as animals in animal agriculture, we have to understand how that racial dynamic plays out in our, uh, in, in this movement. Because like I said, we tend to see the work that we're doing, but we're, it's so many other perspectives and so much more insight that could come from other people and other social justice movements, um, initiatives and ideas have so much more that we can learn from but when we have this framework of you know only advocating only only seeing it through one lens and you know activist shaming in a sense i see a lot of that happening uh because we have just these laser focused uh ideas about you know only speaking on animal rights issues and that's totally fine we just can't ignore the other issues that impact the animal rights movement so this movement will forever belong to the animals but we have to understand as humans that are at odds with each other about a variety of things, how that affects the animal rights movement. Yeah, so true, definitely does. And, um, you know, we, we've mentioned already that you've been, you know, a huge part of, of a lot of events and organization and, and your leadership is just phenomenal. And um, recently, Mercilly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Recently, Mercy for Animals, who we love, announced their pilot grant program, the People's Fund. This program focuses on distributing funds um, among black activists working to build a compassionate plant-based food system. As one of the recipients, yay, um, how has this grant helped to empower and further your activism? Oh, so this is honestly the foundation of like the next frontier of my activism. So I had an idea uh, maybe sometime in the middle of last year to start my own animal rights organization. And it was something that I was like, okay, I'll do it in a couple of years or, you know, whenever the opportunity presents itself. Um, if I get some funding at some point, I'll do it, but I just wasn't pressed to do it. And when I saw this grant pop up, I was like, oh, wow, I wonder if this could help me and my initiative and if I could do anything with that. So I applied for the grant and, you know, lo and behold, I received uh, enough funds to get me started. So what I'm doing right now is I'm going to get a team together and we're first going to focus on content. Um, so we're going to focus on a variety of content. I do have one initiative that I'm starting that I, I don't want to say yet, but once I start this initiative, I think it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. But yeah, the first goal is to create content and I'm going to focus on doing that around the summertime. So around the summertime, you should see a lot of content uh, starting to be produced from my advocacy group. And I would say we're going to take the rest of the year to kind of figure out our first initial campaigns and, you know, decide if we want to have chapters in other cities and states and uh, other, other regions of the world. But as of right now, the funds that I'm getting are helping me to build uh, a foundation of uh, creatives that will create content to help get our name out there. And then we'll decide on what campaigns and actions we want to do going forward. Fantastic. I'm sure here at FTA will be uh, helping to share some of that stuff yeah. when it's ready to release. Yeah, looking to hear more about that. That'll be oh, awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Very worried. Well, that's what we're here for, to help empower activism, you know. And um, while researching the People's Fund, a common theme occurs among many of the other recipients. In the fight for building equity in our food systems and making a plant-based uh, making plant-based eating a viable option for black communities. Having viewers from around the world, some may not be aware of the battle to provide these um, opportunities and options within within those communities and not actually realize how crucial it is for the empowerment of these communities. Can you explain a little bit about this for our audience? Absolutely. So in a lot of the communities of color um, in America and even in other parts of the world, um, we live in areas where these are lower income communities that don't have proper access to food, um, proper access to uh, healthy food or, you know, just whole plant based foods. So, you know, we're trying to, you know, help bring more awareness to this issue because it's something that a lot of people aren't aware of. A lot of people don't know that, you know, a lot of these foods disproportionately um, negatively uh, animal products negatively impact people of color. You have um, things that are being said, like how dairy is racist, you know, how the majority of the world is lactose intolerance, and it's even a high, higher percentage in um, Black and African American communities and Asian communities where our bodies just don't process dairy and milk, uh, you know, in any manner. So, you know, 
these issues are things that over overlap and intersect and it's important to understand how these uh, issues impact certain communities more than others stop the podcast we'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners animal activism mentorship the animal activism mentorship seeks to achieve animal liberation through empowering people to become activists and building a community of individuals who are willing to make the change with free workshops resources and personal mentoring available from some of the most highly acclaimed and experienced activists in the vegan world the aam is invaluable for both would-be and seasoned activists alike head on over to animalactivismmentorship.com and sign up today now back to the podcast yeah no that's um that's really good thank you for the explanation and um, for us as, as proud partners of the Divinity Women's Coalition, Vegan FTA has taken part in events and we've promoted the campaign for US Vice President Kamala Harris to go vegan. In fact, you know, it's, it's been in the news recently that she is dabbling in veganism. So that's great. Hopefully she keeps on with that dabbling <laughs> and, uh, and takes it even further. But this campaign is, is calling for her to spearhead a transition to a sustainable, healthy and equitable food system that offers solutions to battle both this coronavirus pandemic and prevent future pandemics um, and a crucial part of the campaign is highlighting that fact that you mentioned that you know the black communities are put the most at risk by the systemic justices injustices should I say that are still being pro propagated you know it's so important that we, we know that you know um, the black communities are the most susceptible because of the lactose intolerant we need to get these these products out of the diet is this something that we need not just people of color to be raising aware awareness of but all influencers regardless of their collection to the cause connection oh. to the cause honestly <laughs> no absolutely uh we need everybody doing everything because you know one of the things that i've heard uh within the past year that's really become more of a talking point is about how you know racism isn't a issue it, you know black people didn't or any uh, oppressed beings didn't create the racism and the discrimination that they experienced. It comes from the uh, oppressors. So it has to be corrected. You know, it's not something that I or a person of color can fix. It's something that needs to be fixed externally. So people who are in positions um, of power that perpetuate these oppressions are the ones that have that honestly have to do the work. You know, we can educate people about, you know, the, our experiences and, how we've been wronged and how marginalized communities are exploited. And even um, outside of race, when you think about other social justice issues, um, when you look at women's rights, you know, women could talk all day about how they are being um, objectified and, and sexualized in our society. So it's on the perpetrators to change their behavior. It's not on the people that are being victimized to, uh, to change, you know, we can only educate and bring awareness, but honestly, it's going to have to come from a, a different perspective. The people that are in control and continuing this cycle of oppression, that's going to have to change. And that's nothing that I can personally do to change someone else's behavior. You know, they have to make the decision themselves to change that behavior. So that's why it's very important for not only the people that are being marginalized or, or, or being oppressed to speak out. But, you know, the final say-so comes down to the person that has the power to oppress. 
very true mm. so um, in a recent article you wrote for sentient media you gave a powerful and invaluable insight into what it's like to be a black activist you know or black animal rights activist especially uh, one important issue you raised was the link between the forms of oppression and how they further entrench other um, oppression you know especially the oppression of the animals um, would you mind sharing a little bit about this with our audience Absolutely. So I think there's unfortunately so many systems of oppression that uphold animal oppression that it's incumbent upon us as a movement to not necessarily, you know, we don't have to make that the focus of the movement because this movement does belong to the animals. But we can't ignore all of these other systems of oppression. Um, when you think about the, uh, honestly, the sexual oppression um, of the, the of, uh, you know, female animals and how their bodies are exploited and even male animals, you know, how they're forced to uh, uh, produce semen and how they have electric roads uh, pushing their bodies that force them uh, to produce semen, how cows are, you know, forced to be pregnant every nine months. You know, this, this sexual exploitation is a oppression that happens in the oppression of animals. Um, when we look at the workers that are in positions uh, in these jobs working at slaughterhouses and how these industries prey on people with you know low education or or in dire needs or refugees or you know uh, immigrants you know they prey on people in vulnerable situations so they put them in situations where they have to work jobs killing animals every day and how that impacts they're the people's communities that they they, uh, they live in. You know, they go home and they are desensitized to violence on a mass scale now. So that impacts uh, our communities and that impacts our society as a whole. So that's why it's very important that we understand how all of these other oppressions exist within the oppression of animals and how it's on us to understand them and by understanding them, that doesn't mean that we take the focus away from the animals at all. It just means that we don't ignore these other oppressions that help to keep animal oppression going. I think one thing that's been symbolic of oppression over the years has been the, the sort of the image of a chain. And I think it, it works well in this sort of circumstance where, you know, they're all interconnected. Each link of this chain is a, is a different form of oppression. And if we can understand that, this one at the top might be slightly damaged, might be slightly rusty. Well, that's a, it, it chains only as strong as it's, as, as its weakest link, you know? And so if we can understand these different chinks in the chain, then hopefully we can help to break that oppression overall by understanding the rest of it. And um, yeah, it's such an important thing for all of our activists watching this. And even if you're not an activist yet to try and understand who your adversary is, because the better we can understand them, the better we can combat the oppression that we're fighting. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've just been uh, reading in the news about how in the, the UK um, a bill has been passed so that um, protests can no longer be held, even peaceful mm. protests, you know. Wow. And the first thing I thought was, well, what does that mean for the animals? You know, it, it's 
that's a way that we can't speak up for them, even peacefully, you know, that affects them so much if we can't get that awareness out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's never ending, but mm-hmm. it's a fantastic article as well that you wrote for Sentient Media. We'll have to make sure that we link to that. Yeah, because it, it was brilliant. brilliant. Thank really, you. It's, Thank it's you. been getting such good feedback and um, deservedly so. But to be most effective in our advocacy, we need to focus on those roots of oppression. And this means not only addressing who is being exploited or how they're being exploited, but also why that exploitation is happening in the first place and um, we attended the animal activism activists sorry animal activists mentorship workshop recently which we thoroughly enjoyed was absolutely brilliant and um, you were a part of and there you gave a brilliant insight into that why could you please share that insight with our viewers absolutely so I think a lot of times when we discuss uh, the abuse of animals and the exploitation of animals, we often talk about how horrific it is. And when we describe how, how, how horrific it is, we often talk about the treatment of animals, how, like I discussed earlier, how cows are forced to be pregnant every nine months, how, you know, baby chicks are killed on their first day of life, um, how uh, these chickens are have been genetically altered and to produce more eggs and how this is really straining on their body because they are only supposed to produce a certain amount of eggs a year, maybe 12 to 15, but they've been altered to produce, you know, hundreds of eggs a year and how this strips their bodies of nutrients and just all of these horrific things that happen to animals and their exploitation of them. But it's not necessarily about how they are being treated. It's about them being used at all, you know, all use is exploitation because these animals have a right to exist and be free from exploitation just like any other animal in the animal kingdom and when we focus on the how sometimes it can take away the attention from the why so we just have to make sure that we have a healthy balance of letting people know that even if these animals are raised in the best conditions and have a lot of grass to roam around in and they're going to live a life uh, of a higher quality than you know animals on factory farms at the end of the day their bodies are still being used and exploited and that is the root of the problem right there is the fact that we see them as things we see them as items we see them as uh, objects and we strip their existence away for our personal use and when we do that that begins the cycle of uh, abusing them on such high levels. It, it, it's the gateway to justifying the exploitation and the abuse that they suffer. So I think it's very important that we don't uh, have people think that it's just about the treatment of these animals only, that we also make sure that we balance out that it's not only about how bad they are being treating, uh, how, how bad they are being treated, but also the fact that they are even in this position in the first place. I think it's also a very useful tool for activists as well to have those understandings of the the who, the what, and the why, because each one of those can potentially be the key to unlocking that conversation with um, the person having the conversation with, you know. Uh, for some people, that who might be the thing they might connect with, say, the pigs or the chickens or the fish, you know or they might connect with what's going on, you know, that might be the triggering point for them to make a decision. But then, like for me, hearing the why, you know, and just the the fact that we're exploiting them, you know, that's what 
triggers for me personally, you know, mm-hmm. and um, yes, it's a useful tool to have in our arsenal for this. Yeah. But when, um, when trying to identify the roots of what we're fighting, it seems it's much easier in other areas um, as compared to veganism. Uh, one such example is the whole food plant-based movement. It's far easier to, uh, for those advocates to go out and identify that the food culture is why people are getting disease and dying, which makes it quite easy for them just to transition and turn around uh, with those different foods, you know. Um, what are your thoughts about trying to... Rec- I'll just rephrase that one. <laughs> what are your thoughts about recognising this in veganism? Do you have any tips for identifying the roots of our oppressors? Yeah, so I think I see it slightly different. I think one of the things that I look at when I look at the roots uh, of oppression, of any oppression, is the fact that we see others as different. And when we start to see them as different, we start to justify reasons that they can be uh, exploited or abused because we see them as detached from ourselves. And I think this not only um, plays into how we treat other animals, but I think it, it plays a lot about how we look at our society in general, how we, you know, uh, with like a lot of the deforestation that's going on now, we see these vast uh, areas of land and we see that they are being destroyed so we can, you know, quote unquote, grow, uh, raise livestock. And I think when we start to separate ourselves from others, it starts to give us uh, a justification to exploit and abuse others. So I think the root of it is, you know, we can't feel disconnected. I think once we start to feel disconnected from anybody or anything, you know, honestly, I feel like we are disconnected from ourselves. And I know that that's just something that I speak about when I do advocacy or when I do outreach. Uh, I try to, you know, not just make people understand that I am here for animal advocacy rights and um, the fact that they shouldn't live, they shouldn't live in a life where they are abused and exploited. But I also try to help people understand that, you know, we are all connected forms of energy. You know, we, we literally are, you know, nothing can exist without another thing. Like I can't exist without the air. The air can't exist without other molecules and other uh, elements. You know, it's all intertwined, you know, where we have cells in our bodies, these cells multiply and uh, we are like little cells moving on the earth. And the earth is uh, one thing in the solar system and we have a bunch of solar systems. So, I mean, I kind of look at it like we're just small, tiny versions of the universe and we're all interconnected. So I I guess I try to just let people understand that, you know, when we start to see other beings or other people as, you know, others, you know, quote unquote others, that's the uh, root of the the cause of the discrimination. That's a wonderful insight. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it got me thinking about fish because, you know, it's, it's coming out now that, that fish, you know, do have feelings and they are in pain, they are suffering. And, and, you know, before I went vegan, it was always fish didn't have feelings, you know, fish, mm-hmm. fish were different. They weren't the same as other animals, you know, they were, they just didn't feel. And, and then to find out once going vegan that they're, you know, about the most abused 
um yeah they are the most abused yeah animals on earth yeah it's it's just horrible it really really hits home so um yeah thank you for for that explanation it really yeah it's it's awesome which is is why you're doing such wonderful work in the animal activist mentorship which uh we mentioned just before and we love this group like i said we, we really want to get along to, to more of your events and it's yet another organization which you're part of and sharing your experience and leadership skills we love what you guys are doing so much it's so valuable you know whether you're new wanting to learn a bit more about activism or, or even you know experienced vegans and activists like us we learn a lot from you guys can you tell us more about this brilliant group yeah so uh this group has been around for a little bit over a year now and what we do is we have one-on-one mentorships with uh activists so if you're an aspiring activist and let's say you've never done activism before you're interested um or even if you're you know not even vegan yet and you want to learn how to advocate. Uh, what we do is you fill out this application on the website and you go to, uh, and once you fill out the application, you uh, are assigned a personal mentor, a one-on-one mentor that's experienced in advocacy. And this person, you know, for three months helps you with any type of activism that, uh, that you may be thinking of. So they're like your personal mentor and coach. So if you're trying to put together an event, if you don't know, you know, how to be active in your community, you want to start a local, you know, save chapter in your um, community, or you just want to start a grassroots organization in your community, they can help you with, you know, how to get attendance, how to plan events, things that you have to look out for. I mean, there's so many things that I didn't know when I first started organizing events that I know now that I just didn't even have to worry about. Uh, I, I didn't even think I had to... Uh, Think about these things, but once you start planning events and start doing actions and different types of campaigns, you start to get a lot more experience and you can use that to guide others. So through the program, like I said, we assign you a, uh, you are assigned a mentor and for three months, they just kind of walk you through uh, achieving certain goals that you want as a, to be as an activist. So maybe your goal is to attend your first activism event, or maybe your goal is to start your own chapter. You know, we try to work with you and help you uh, just realize your potential in advocacy and, and bring it out as much as we can. It's such a fantastic group, it. yeah. So um, previously, one of your goals was to be able to be a animal rights advocate full time, and now you've achieved that goal. What's your visions and goals for the future? Yeah, so I've been so grateful to within the last year or so, especially within, you know, this past year that we had uh, to be able to be in a position to work full time and actually make a living doing this now. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for all of my experiences that have led me to be in this position. And now my next goal is to focus on my organization. So, you know, as the organization grows, I'm going to hopefully be able to do that full time. So that's the next step. So now that I've been able to say that, okay, I can make a living doing advocacy work. I want to put other people in a position in my organization to hopefully provide them with a full time um, experience in animal advocacy. So I don't know how long that will take, but I'm going to do everything that I can with my organization to uh, just put my own spin on advocacy, share my insight. I think I have a lot of uh, style and flavor in terms of how I want to discuss 
animal activism and advocate for animals. And I, I think I, I have some people that will definitely be along the journey with me and, and will love doing it with me. So that's my next goal is to get the organization off the ground and bring in more advocates. Fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. I so look forward to that. And, you know, I'm sure if, if your Twitter and your social media following is anything to go by, I'm sure you'll get heaps of support and, and heaps of interest in, in what you're doing. I can't wait to see. Um, thank Chris, you. thank you so much for everything that you have done and continue to do for the animals. You've been an event organizer. You've worked with Anonymous for the Voiceless, DXC. Um, you've even done some stuff for Peter you've you've been helpful in so many ways to so many organizations and as we said at the start you are all over social media i've been following you for ages so it's wonderful to to meet you in person and your words are just on point in person as they are uh, on your twitter where can our viewers go to follow and support your work yes thank you so much for that so yeah you can go to soulubanks.com s-o-u-l e-u-b-a-n-k-s.com and my social media handles are S-O-U-L underscore E-U-B-A-N-K-S. And I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok with all of those handles. Facebook is facebook.com slash soulubanks. But if you go to my website, it has all of the social media um, uh, platforms that I'm on there. Thank awesome. you for that. And we'll be sure to um, link those in the description of this video as well. And I will say as well, when folks go and check out your website, uh, mm. check out your music as well, because um it's not oh, yeah. like i'm i'm a death metal dude you know but like i, I was checking out your music i was like this this is groovy like i, I really enjoy that so yeah uh, yeah to check out oh thanks so much yeah so for those that don't know hip-hop is my first love so i've been making hip-hop for maybe what over 10 15 years now i haven't been focusing on it as much lately but i still write i still have songs i still have like a whole album in my head that maybe one day it'll come out maybe one day it won't I don't know we'll see but yeah thanks for that I, I don't get too many people often talking about my music since I haven't really put much uh much energy into it lately oh well it's it's, it's fantastic yeah, so, I like, normally it. like death metal and all that sort of stuff is like my sort of like group but like um yeah, yeah like no it's fantastic it's great to check that out and it's really nice for us when we're researching then to find these other parts we're like oh yeah yeah <laughs> exactly and you know that that album i'm sure will come out everything everything comes out in its own time doesn't it so um absolutely definitely so yeah check out the website there is heaps of, of great information you can keep up with everything that chris is doing as well so thank you so much for your time it's been such a pleasure to have you here thank you thank you for all that you do and i, I really appreciate just you reaching out and letting me come and, and speak on your platform it's an amazing thing that you all do um, i'm fans of your work probably just as much as you are fans of mine so i'm just happy to be here thank you for listening to this interview we hope you have found it informative and entertaining to learn more about christopher's work check out encompassmovement.org once again be sure to follow us on our social media platforms for future episodes and if you're enjoying our content please leave a review on your chosen podcast platform this has been vegan fta vegan for the animals.